All right, hey, get your Bible out. Let's do what we do. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we are uh, today, and we're going to be diving into Colossians 3, beginning at verse 5. So how many... HGTV people do I have in the house, all right? The fixer-upper folks, all right? Yeah, absolutely, man. I tell you what, it started, I think, with just one or two shows, and now you can watch some kind of home fix-up show 24-7, right? There's always some new couple that's out, and they're, they're doing the thing. And, and it's, what's weird is, you can see this so many times, but the plot is always the same, right? This is, this is the same plot. Every house, same plot. You got this old house, it needs fixing up. They have a vision. The first thing they do, they come in the house and they do what? That's right, come on, be a little more energetic about it. That's right, they're doing a little demo, right? And so you're knocking out walls and you're tearing stuff out and you're hauling off the old carpet. And then after everything goes out, then they start building the new stuff in. You know, when Liz and I bought our first house, I've told you this before, we bought the ultimate ugly house, right? It was just, it was all we could afford, but it was really ugly. And so it, it, was, it had the old, a really thick gold shag car. Y'all with me on that? Yeah, why that was ever in, I have no idea. Uh, it's probably back in now, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, we ripped all that stuff out. We pulled all the fixtures out. We, we gutted this place and then we repainted. I had a bunch of college students do that because I was doing college ministry at the time. Not necessarily a good idea, all right? Good as far as labor cost goes, bad as far as quality goes, but but we, we got it repainted and slowly but surely it was like transformed from the inside out, right? And so that's exactly a picture of what God wants to do with every person. He wants to change you from the inside out. And uh, there's a word that is mentioned in the Bible that describes the transformation that happens in a person's life from the inside out. And that word is a word renew or to make new again, renew. In fact, if you got, uh, if you got a pap- paper out, you're taking notes, I want you to write that word down, renew, okay? The Greek word is the word anakinosis. Anakinosis, which means to be new again. In fact, uh, the, that word anakinosis can be defined this way, quote, a complete change for the better. A makeover of the mind and soul. All right, so God wants to do a makeover in your life. He wants to renew you. He wants to transform you. In fact, there are several places in the Bible where this word renew appears. I want to give you a couple of key ones that you can go back and study on your own, all right? But just kind of setting the stage for what we're going to talk about in Colossians 3. First uh, verse is Romans 12, verse 1. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. There's a word, renew. And so This means that the transformation that God brings in our life often begins with our mind, how we understand who God is, how we understand what truth is, how we understand ourselves and what needs to change. All this is based on the truth that God brings to us when we come to faith in Jesus. So it starts with our mind. But here's another one. Write this down. Titus 3 verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. All right, so this idea of salvation comes from the work of God, but also the renewing work, the transforming work is a work of the Holy Spirit that happens in your life when you place your faith in Jesus. 
right? Theologians would call this the process of sanctification. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit renewing you from the inside out. Give you another one. Second, uh, Second Corinthians 4, 16. Second Corinthians 4, 16 says that though we struggle outwardly, we are, quote, yet in our inner man being renewed day by day. So this renewal, this change that God is doing in us is a, is a day by day change. It's not like he throws a switch and all of a sudden, poof, you're a new person. That would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Uh, but actually, God does it day by day. This, this step by step as we're walking with God. He's changing us more and more into the likeness of Christ, which really kind of leads me to the last one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Colossians 3, verse 10 says, you are being renewed. There the word is. In knowledge, according to the image of your creator. See, that's the goal. God's trying to get you to the image of of his son. Uh, Romans 8 says that for God, for, for those God foreknow, he predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son. So what he wants to do is shape you little by little, day by day, under the power of the Holy Spirit as your mind is renewed to become more and more like Jesus. That is God's goal for your life. That's God's plan. That's the track he's got you on. Okay? And so God is doing this renewing work. Now, the process of renewal involves taking off some things and putting on some things, right? It involves taking off and putting on. You do this all the time. You do this every day, right? You get up in the morning and uh, you eventually take off your pajamas unless you're working from home. You take off uh, your pajamas, right? And uh, you put on your work clothes and you go to work right? And then when you come home from work, then if you're like my parents, they say, we put on our soft clothes. So I guess that's your sweats, you know, and whatever. And then, then you say, and then you put on your bed clothes. I'm just saying you're changing your clothes all the time, taking them off, putting them on. That's what renewal looks like, taking off some things, some old ways of thinking, some old ways of behaving, and putting on some new ways of thinking and new ways of behaving. Same thing in the house, right? If you're going to renew the house, you're going to rip some things out. You're going to leave them on the curb and then you're going to bring some new things in. Now listen, if you want to be changed, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It begins in your heart and in your mind. Uh, it's a step-by-step -step process. God's getting you to the place of looking more like Christ. But listen, you're going to have to participate in this by taking off some things and putting on some things. And that's exactly what Paul is describing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 17. All right? He's describing this process. So I want us to dive into it. And first off, he's going to talk about what we need to take off. All right, what we need to drag to the curb. What we need to leave behind. He's going to use the term put to death these things. I mean, that's graphic language. But this stuff has got to be out if we're ever to be changed. All right, so let's look at it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse 5. This is the word of God. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these when you were living in them. Now stop right there. The first category of sins are sexual sins. Sexual sins. Listen, we live in a sex-saturated culture, do we not? I mean, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It is, it is everywhere you turn. 
It is uh, on prime time. It's uh, online. It's on Netflix. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere you turn. Uh, there's some sexual content, sexual idea. In fact, 92% uh, of Billboard Top 100 songs are about sex. 40 million people in the United States say they have a sexual addiction. And they view it, they view pornography uh, regularly. Uh, get this, 2.5 billion emails are sent out with pornographic content every single day. 2.5 billion emails. Uh, we live in a sex-saturated uh, culture. And so one of the first things that begins to change in our mind and then in our life is our understanding of biblical sexuality. And this is really what he begins to address right off the bat. The word sexual immorality that he mentions there is any sexual expression outside of God's plan and God's design, which is one man, one woman in marriage for life. That's God's plan. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? This is God's plan. It's always been God's plan. And by the way, just me saying that is all of a sudden controversial. Uh, it's never been controversial because it's just simply what God's word teaches. And so what he said is when you come to Christ, you begin to change in your understanding and coming back to what is God saying, he says, you want to get rid of any sexual immorality in your life. He goes on to add a couple other words, impurity, lust, evil desires. These press beyond the sexual act to the mind. It is what I think about it. It is how I, what I dream about, what I fantasize about, what images I put in my mind. That's what these words have in mind. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, he said, these, he lists off a whole list of sins. He says these things uh, come out of the heart of a person. And so here he's saying, you need to remove these things. In fact, he said God's wrath is coming against these things. Meaning that any culture that goes down that road is a culture that has lost their moral compass. It's a culture that has lost its way. And it's a culture that's under the judgment of God. And he goes on to say, listen, and you guys were in that. That was your life. Listen, the truth of the matter is that uh, all of us in this room probably have some version of these sins in our background. Right? I mean, if the percentages are correct, we, this was our story. This may have been your story. And what he's saying is, listen, that's who you used to be, but that's not who you are now. That's what your life used to be like, but that's not what it's like now. You've died to these old things. Now you need to drag that out and put it on the curb because you are a new person in Jesus Christ. You're a new person. You need to drag those things out and get rid of them. And then he mentions another group of sins. Look at verse 8. He says, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed, there that word is, in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. 
I love that. The, the first category really kind of deals with sexual sins. This other category deals with what I would call divisive sins. These are sins that cause us to have tension and friction and hatred with other people. Now, by the way, if we live in a, a sex-saturated culture, if our culture is sexualized, then would you not agree that our culture is also polarized? I mean, sex and hate really are what describe what's happening in our culture today. You see them both, and you see over and over the, the, this one group against another group and one hate against another hate, and you're seeing it all over the place. And here he's saying, as a follower of Jesus, you need to put that away. That shouldn't be among you. In fact, he goes on to say uh, that you are to put away anger and wrath. That is, your deep-seated bitterness and your explosive anger. That you're to put away malice and slander. That is, the intent to do harm to another person. He said you're to put away uh, filthy language and lying. That is using your tongue, using your words to harm or deceive another person. He said all these things need to go. That's a part of your old life and, and these things are only destructive. And then in verse 11, he kind of mentions a group of people there that hate each other. Look at it, verse 11. The Greek uh, Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. All these people had odds with each other. They all hated each other. The Greeks, they were polytheists. They were into philosophy and education and so on. The Jews, they were monotheists. They, they were holding on to their traditions and their law. Uh, the barbarians, you know, that, the word barbarian is an onomatopoetic word. It just simply means bar, 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 like they can't even make a sentence, right? Uh, they, they just can't even speak. We don't understand these people. They're barbarians. And then he mentions a specific group, the Scythians, which were predominantly known for their brutality and their wickedness. Slave, free, all these people can't get along. Can any of these people ever get along? Can any of these people ever lay down their arms? Can any of these people ever agree to love and care for it? Can we ever have peace, is what he's saying, even among these groups? It's a really good question. You know, we're, we're asking that same question as we're watching the news today with what's happening in Israel. I mean, it's a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. I know that you're probably keeping up with it, but, but when you see almost... 2,000 missiles coming from Hamas into Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Uh, I talked with a pastor and, uh, well, actually two pastors from Israel this week on Zoom. And we're looking to partner with both of these pastors in planting a church in the Galilee. And so I was visiting with him about it. He said, thank the Lord for the Iron Dome, the anti-missile defense system that they have that is able to knock most of these missiles out of the sky, even though many of them have come through. The sense that they're having, you know, almost 2,000 missiles is an attempt to overwhelm the Iron Dome so that then they can uh, kill many just innocent people. And there's, uh, he, he said though, he said, we are finding that in this very difficult time, which he said, this is unlike anything we've ever seen before. He said, even in this very difficult time, we are finding an opportunity as far as a Jesus to both comfort the Israeli people and the Palestinian people to be, a, speak words of comfort, but also to point them to the only place where we can find peace. And that is peace in Jesus. That's really his whole point in, in verse 11. 
He said, listen, in Christ, all these walls of hostility come down. In Christ, the Jew and the Palestinian can be brothers. In fact, that is actually happening. On the, uh, on the west side of Jerusalem, in a little, I say little, a suburb called Netanya, there is a Bible college there where Jews and Palestinians love one another and study God's word together because they both come to faith in Jesus. See, the wall of hostility comes down when Christ is lifted up. In fact, uh, this pastor, one of the pastors there that we were talking to, he said, I grew up in an orthodox culture. I grew up believing that Jews are God's people and the Gentiles are nobody. And then he said, I never dreamed that I would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now he said, it's only in Christ that we can be one and only Christ can we can have peace. I said, pastor, could you share that one more time and let me record that so that our church family can hear that? He said, sure. So this is what he said. Greeting to you all, uh, our brothers and our sisters, wherever you are. Here from the Galilee, from very near Caesarea Philippi, we bring greeting to you in the name of Yeshua Mashiach. Uh, one of the things that I really want to share, being coming from a very orthodox Jew, always, always learning and, and being driven into my heart that we are the chosen people, and all and all the nation are the Gentiles. They are they are no one. And uh, and the Lord, I never thought or dreamed that this is will be one day my reality. That I will step into a church ever in my life. But nevertheless, the Lord saved me and brought me to Christ Jesus to discover the Messiah in Israel. And through that discovery and through growing in Him, growing in knowing Him, the Lord has established that truly between us, between us, there is no difference. We are one in Christ Jesus. And I want to share with you that even in my own family, my brothers, my sister, my own mother, I'm saying to them, listen, my connection with you, it's so short. If it's only maybe 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, I'll be, we will, it will be over. But in Christ Jesus, we are eternity, we are connected together. So who is more important, our biological family or our family in Christ Jesus? Of course it is in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you as we ourselves remove the wall of differences. We are truly one in them. We are one family. We are one day will spend eternity together, together in the Messiah. We are already here together and make this understanding reality for all of us. When we will go to heaven, we will already experience this life here on earth as it is in heaven. So I really want to encourage you to lay all aside and put the flag strong in your heart, big, out there, see it clear that Christ Jesus is our goal, is our life, is our hope, is our everything. So I want to thank you and I'm looking forward one day 
to see you go to see you all face to face or you coming here to Israel and to experience the greatness unity that we have in Christ Jesus God bless you all thank you so much isn't that pretty cool all right yeah let's celebrate that so this is really Paul's point, right? He said, you're a new person in Christ. You need to get rid of some things. You need to drag some things to the curb. God's wanting to do that. Uh, these sexual sins, drag it to the curb. These divisive things, drag it to the curb. You're a new person in Jesus. You've got to get rid of this. And then you've got to build some things in to your life. So look at what he says here. You've got to put some things on. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. He says, uh, he says, you're God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Don't you love that? He's like, hey, I know that you got to pass, all right? I know what you used to be. I know that. But listen, you're new in Christ, and the way God sees you is not like, oh, you're a disappointment. Or, man, yeah, I know what you did back there in that relationship. Or, I know how you acted before, and I'm holding it against you, and you got to work it out. No, no, no. He's saying because of faith in Jesus that your heavenly Father looks through the blood of Christ and sees you as holy. He sees you as chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says. He sees you as dearly loved. Do you hear that language? He says, I love you. God loves you. And out of this love, start living the person that you really are. He start putting on, look at what he says here. He says, uh, uh, in a world full of hostility, put on compassion and kindness. In a world that is quick to judge and to attack, be gentle and patient and bear with one another. In a world that holds grudges and harbors bitterness, forgive. And then look at verse 14. Above all, put on love because love covers a multitude of sins. Love binds us all together in unity. One of my favorite childhood memories is on Saturday night, we would get ready for church and we would lay out our church clothes, right? Remember, you couldn't ever wear your church clothes during the week, right? Because you didn't want to mess up your church clothes. And so we get it all out there, and, and my dad would, would take our shoes that we were going to wear on Sunday morning and put them all out on a newspaper, and then he would polish all of our shoes so that we had polished shoes for Sunday morning. It was important that you look your best. These were your church clothes that you wore to go to worship. But listen, what, what Paul is talking about are the real church clothes. To put this on, to put on compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and love. That's really what God is looking for. He's not as concerned about what you're wearing on the outside as what you're wearing on the inside of, of what you're clothing yourself in today. And so he said, you got to, if you really want to see change happen, you, you've got to understand God's at work renewing you. This is a part of his process, but it's going to involve you taking volition and taking action to take off some things and build some things on. And you may say, well, Craig, I want to do that. You don't understand. I've tried to do that. 
I, I've, I've tried to change, but I just can't change. I've got this, this sexual addiction, or I've got this problem, and, and I, or these relationships that, I, that hold me back, and I, I so try hard to change, but I can't. Or I've got this anger problem, I've got this bitterness issue, I've got whatever the thing is you've got that's holding you back. How do I change? How do I change? Well, good news is he tells us here the, the resources we have to bring about change. All right? If you are going to uh, gut a house, you got to have some tools, right? You're going to have to have a crowbar. You need a drill. You need a sledgehammer. You need, if you're going to transform something, you got to have the right tools. And in these few verses, Paul gives you the tools that God has provided for you to really change. All right? Why don't you look at them with me? Uh, look at verse uh, 15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now I want you to underline three things, all right? Get, it, get your Bible out, pen out, underline the phrase in verse 15, the peace of Christ. Underline that, the peace of Christ. Then in verse 16, underline the phrase, the word of Christ. See that? Then, at the end of verse 16, underline the phrase, one another. These are the three tools that God has provided for you to actually change. First, he mentions the peace of Christ. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, here's, here's a cool thing. The word rule there literally means umpire. All right, umpire. Now, what does an umpire do, right? An umpire, he calls balls and strikes, right? This is in lane, it's out of the lane. It's good, it's bad. Ball and strike. That's what an umpire does. He gets down behind that catcher and he goes, you know, ball, ball, strike. That's what he does. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit within you. When you begin to walk with God, the Spirit of God comes to live within you, he's going to call balls and strikes, all right? He's going to say, whoa, 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 that, you shouldn't be doing that, right? No, don't do that. That's wrong. That's going to hurt you. Uh, and then he's going to call good things, right? Things that you should do. He's going to prompt you to do what's right, and he's going to convict you to do, when you do what is wrong. This is John 16. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, it says. And so when you begin to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to call balls and strikes. Now, let me just play that out a minute. How cool would it be if there was an umpire in your house, right? Just think about it. Umpire just walking around in your house. Your kid sasses off to mom. You know, flag goes up in the air. You know, uh, that's a penalty right there, right? Uh, dad isn't listening uh, to wife, say, tell him something, that's a personal foul, 15-yard penalty, you know, uh, that would be pretty cool. But guess what? You do have an umpire, and he does call it every single time, if you're listening. I remember when Liz and I were first married, our first little apartment, I've told you this before, our first apartment was so small, you could vacuum the whole thing when one plug, okay? It was really small. We had a living room, and we had a bedroom and one door in between. I mean, when you get an argument, there's only one door to slam, all right? And I can remember many times in those early years of marriage where I would have said something 
dumb and, and insensitive and Liz would be sitting on the bedroom, uh, sitting on the bed crying and the door shut and I'm in the living room uh, circling and pacing around the one coffee table that we had, right? Trying to calm down. And then the umpire would show up. And he'd say, Craig, you're an idiot. Well, well, why did you talk to her that way? Husbands, love your wives and be patient with them, the word says. And you're not been very patient. And I would feel conviction, right? Because the umpire's calling it the way it is. And if I, if I resisted what the Holy Spirit was saying, that conviction, and I'll go, well, it's her fault. The door works both ways. She can come out here. I don't have to always go in there. If I did that, then I would never change. But if I'm willing to submit to what the Holy Spirit's saying and go, you know what, you're right. I was totally in the wrong. And I go and make it right. Then little by little, I begin to change. Let me ask you something. If the umpire were to show up in your house, would he throw any flags? Would there be some areas that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, that's not right. That's not good. Uh, one, of, one of my friends that, that recently came to Christ, well, I say a couple of years ago, he was asking me, should I do this at this party? Should I go here and do that? And I giving you a list of things to do. Why don't you just listen to the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God convicts you that that's wrong, then stop doing it. And if it can, and he prompts you to do something that's right, then do it. That's about it. Welcome to Christian life, right? And the cool thing is he's with you always. So the peace of Christ, the umpire, helps you to change. Another thing is the word of Christ. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means that this book needs to dwell in your hearts, that you're to eat it and save, not just like literally put it in your mouth, but you're to savor it, right? You're to study it, you're to read it, you're to ponder on it. The times when I was growing and changing the most of my life was when I was reading God's word and I was filling out a legal pad of questions and I was going and seeking what truth is. The more you spend time in this book, reading it, spending time, memorizing and studying it on a daily basis, to that degree you will change and you will grow. This, this is a, a sword that's sharp, right? And it cuts and penetrates and it, and, it, and it cuts out the things that need to come out. It's like a scalpel. It, 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 it removes the cancerous things of our own life so that we can begin to live a new life for Jesus. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ. And then he says, the best way, uh, check this out, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here were these young believers in Colossae, and he said, listen, you've got the Holy Spirit within you. He's gonna call the balls and strikes, just listen to him. And you've got my letter, you've got the word of God, and you have other letters that are circulating, so you're gonna hold on to that. But he said, but most of all, you have each other. You have the peace of Christ, you have the word of Christ, but you also have the people of Christ. These young believers, they gathered together and they bonded together, they would meet early in the morning and they would pray for one another and they would confess their sins to each other and they'd say, I need help, things are not good at home or I'm really struggling with this temptation or I can't, I, I can't deal with this issue that's in my life and they would pray for one another, they would encourage one another, they would confess their sin to one another. They would teach each other, they would instruct each other, they would admonish, which means to confront one another. Hey pal, that's not the right thing to do and I love you, don't do that. And they would, they would speak into each other's life and in the context of honesty and humility and authenticity they would bear their souls to one another 
and God would do this amazing work of change within them. The reason why we constantly say you need to be in a group, you need to be in a group, you need to be in a group, you need to be in community. The reason why we do that is because this is one of the key tools God has given you for you to see real change in your life. So listen, God wants to renew you. This renewing work inside of you, he's at work, but it's gonna involve taking off some things, putting on some things. It's gonna involve you being in God's word, you listening to his spirit, you being with God's people. But let me tell you what, it's never too late for you to change. You may say, well, pastor, it's way too late for me to change. No, it's not. It's never too late. This last uh, Sunday, I had a man meet me at the front after the service, one of our services. He said, do you remember me? I'm like, I think so, yeah, I think. And he said, well, last time you knew me, I was an addict and I was on the street. But he said, let me tell you what happened. He said, after I finally got to, uh, to the end of my rope, I cried out to Jesus and I gave my life to Christ. And he has been renewing me and changing me and I'm a completely different person. Now, you probably don't even recognize me because I'm so different. He said, let me tell you what else God has done. He said, back my old life, I was with this lady and, and she got pregnant. Uh, we were both really young. Um, she gave up the baby for adoption. We went our separate ways. He said, but, uh, but later she came to faith in Christ. And then when I was saved, God put on her heart to find me. And she reached out after about two weeks, we got back together. And he said, God has just renewed this love that we have for each other. But now we're both born again. And he said, and here's another cool thing. We have now recently located our daughter. And God is now bringing everything back together. And I was like, you... You are experiencing renewal. God making all things new. And we were sitting right here and we grabbed hands and we thank God for his renewing work in their life. Listen, it's never too late for you to turn to him. It's never too late for God to renew you from the inside out. He wants to start right now. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Listen, you may be saying, man, that's what I need. I need a change. I really, really need to change. But the change starts with Jesus. The change is not about self-will. It's not about uh, working a program. It is about Jesus Christ being the center of your life. That's why Paul started off at the beginning of chapter three by saying, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. So have you sought out Jesus? Have you asked Christ to forgive you and to change you profoundly, substantially? You see, the gospel is very simple. When we were far from God, wayward from God, distant from him, be steeped in sin, unable to turn and un unable and unwilling to turn to him, that God sent his only son, Christ Jesus, to this earth and Christ lived to show us who the Father was and he died for your sin, all of your sin, all your waywardness put on the back of Jesus and he died on the cross as payment for your sin. His body was put in a grave and three days later he rose again from the grave showing himself alive to over 40 different, uh, hundreds of people over 40 different days proving himself that he had risen from the dead. 
He ascended to the Father and he says right now, if anyone will turn to him, confessing their sin, depending on him, that he will change you. He will forgive you. He will give you a home in heaven. He will put his spirit within you and he will bring about this transformation, this renewal that only he can do. So have, have you given your life to Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just with your heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I need to give my life to Christ. I need Christ in my life. I want to change. I've not been able to change. I need Jesus Christ to come in and change me and make me a new person. And if that right now, you feel a tugging in your heart, the Holy Spirit saying, that is you, that is you. Then right now, nobody looking around, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. And I'll just include you in a simple prayer. I'm not going to call you out in any way. Pastor, just pray for me. I need Christ. I need a change. Just lift up your hand so I can see it. All right? Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. All right? Thank you. I need Jesus in my life. I need to change. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, you can put your hand down. So God knows your heart. God sees your heart. So just right where you are, just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. And I know I've lost my way. But I believe that you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And you are the only one that can change me. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please make me a new person. Please fill me with your spirit. And today I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me. Now just with your heads bowed, maybe you're a Christian, but there are some things that need to go. There's some things that need to be dragged to the curb. There's some sin in your life that you've tolerated for far too long and you're not seeing the transformation and renewal happen because you're not listening to the Spirit of God. But right now, the umpire is calling the strikes and the balls. And he's pointing out the things that need to change. Would you just right now just confess that to him? Say, God, I see this area in my life. I need to change, God. Forgive me. God, renew me. Help me to turn from those things. Why don't you just tell him that? Father, I thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, that through Christ, you provided a way for us to be different, to be new, that we're not tied to the person we used to be, that because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, our old life can die and we can be a new person in you. And Lord, I, I thank you that you are working in us day by day to change us and renew us to look more and more like you. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week that we would, we would be less the person we used to be and more the person that you want us to be. That we would look more and more like you. That we would truly be mirrors that brightly reflect you to the people around us. Lord, fill us with your spirit. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.